Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. From Genesis 5, 21 to 24. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all of the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In the name of our risen and ascended Lord, who has also said, Behold, I am coming quickly, dear fellow redeemed. Enoch is probably one of the most mysterious figures mentioned in the Old Testament. A big part of that mystery is because he, he is merely mentioned. Here's what we know about him. He was the seventh generation after Adam. He lived to be 365 years, while his son, Methuselah, had the longest recorded lifespan in human history of 969 years. He walked with God during his life, and then, as we read, he was not, for God took him. If there was any question, Hebrews 11.5 clears up exactly what that means. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, and, he pleased, and that pleased God. It's incredible that there are only eight verses in all of Scripture talking about this extraordinary man. After all, he was, the only, he was one of only two people in history not to die, the other being the prophet Elijah, who was taken into heaven on a fiery, fiery chariot. Because so little is revealed about Enoch, we have questions. What does it mean that Enoch walked with God? Why did the Lord allow him to ascend to heaven without having to die? Why is the brief yet fascinating account of this man's life recorded for us in Scripture at all? This Ascension Sunday, we will consider these questions and others as we meditate on our theme, Enoch was not. Not a promise that we will be spared temporal death, not given eternal life because of his works, and not the most important ascension. May the Spirit comfort us in the knowledge that, even now, Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father and will come again in glory to judge us righteous for his own namesake. It's been said before that death makes life worth living. It gives us a deadline. You only have so much time in this world to get your kicks in before you wind up on a cold slab, and that's the end of it. Death is a natural part of life, they say. But what if I told you that death was never part of the plan? When God created Adam and Eve and set them in the Garden of Eden, he issued a warning in Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat, of it you shall surely die. In the beginning, when God created heaven and earth, there was no death. Adam and Eve were sinless and immortal. But then that all changed when the serpent tempted Eve to eat the fruit, promising that she would be like God 
if she did. Eve then ate and gave the fruit to Adam, who, though he also knew better, ate of the fruit anyways. When God confronted them with their sin, he gave Adam the grim prognosis in Genesis 3.19. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And the curse of death didn't end with Adam and Eve. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.12, As though, as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Scripture teaches us very, very clearly that every person is sinful and that the one result of that sinfulness is temporal death. Our bodies will give out and every single person to come into the world, you and I included, is subject to death on account of our sins. Except apparently Enoch. Enoch was not subject to temporal death. Why was Enoch spared the pain and fear of dying? The knee-jerk reaction is to look at the next closest detail we have about him. Enoch walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God precisely? Micah 6.8 defines it for us. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Walking with God is to love, obey, and respect Him and His will. There are many people who are described in this way in Scripture. Job, for one, is ascribed in 1-1 of the book that bears his name. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Genesis 6-8 tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Moses also is described in a similar way in Exodus 33-11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And again in Deuteronomy 34-10. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. But Job died, and Moses died. So what about Enoch? What, so what made Enoch so special? Human reasoning looks at this situation and says, Enoch must have walked with God in such a superior, sanctified state that God rewarded him for his faithfulness by sparing him death. That same human reason may go so far as to say, then, that if I can live an especially sinless life, perhaps God will spare me from death as well. Let me reassure you that this is not the moral of the story. Enoch, Job, Noah, and Moses were all sinners, just as everyone else. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. If Christ does not return first, you will die. The answer to the question, why did God spare Enoch and Elijah from death, I will readily admit is one wholly unsatisfying to our curious human minds. We just don't know. The Lord says to Isaiah 55, 
in Isaiah 55, that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that, by faith, is enough for us who believe that the wisdom of God is beyond question and reproach. Enoch was not promised to us that we will be spared temporal death if we can be very, very good. But we do know the destination of Enoch's ascension. He went to heaven. And why was that? Even though we are sure that Enoch was a sinner like everyone else, why did he get to go to heaven? After all, Paul writes in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. And not just temporal death here on earth, but eternal death and hell. Once more, human nature wants to gravitate to that little detail. Enoch walked with God. Sinful pride, the opinion of the law in our hearts, is always constantly pulling us toward the conclusion that eternal life is the reward that we earn by doing good and being especially holy people. I mean, look at those other examples again. Wasn't it because Job was blameless that he could say, after all, my skin is destroyed. This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Wasn't it because Noah was blameless that he is described in Hebrews 11.7 as an heir of righteousness? We know that Moses went to heaven because he appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, speaking with Jesus. Wasn't that because he was such a good friend to the Lord? The answer to each of these cases, whether they were allowed into heaven because of their own holiness, is a resounding no. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you have any further doubt about faith being the only way to receive the promise of eternal life, I have some homework for you. After service, go home, grab your Bible, and open up to Hebrews 11. Read all about the Old Testament figures there and tell me how many of their stories are recounted without being preceded with the words, by faith. Spoiler alert, the answer is zero. By faith, Abel appeared off of. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. And then the writer concludes, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Enoch, Enoch did not receive eternal life because of his own works. He received it the same way that we have received it, by faith in the redeeming work of Christ. Job, Noah, and Enoch were not blameless because they had never committed sin. They had. They were blameless because they believed in the coming Messiah, who was truly blameless. 
He was born without sin and committed no sin so that no one could ever place any blame on him. If the wages of sin is death, then Jesus didn't have to die. But he did anyway. He died the death of the cross in order to place his blameless record upon Enoch, upon all these heroes of faith, and upon you. But here we are on Ascension Sunday, and we haven't said one word yet about Christ's ascension into heaven. That account is found in our epistle reading for today from Acts 1. Now when he had spoken these things, while they were watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, and also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The reason why the Spirit reveals so little about Enoch's ascension is because Enoch was not the most important ascension. It is noteworthy. It wouldn't be recorded for us if it wasn't. But don't let the questions that God wisely leaves unanswered direct you from the questions he does answer. Did Jesus rise from the dead for your justification? Yes. The Bible tells us so in Romans 4. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Did Jesus ascend into heaven in order to send us his spirit and to rule in power and glory at his Father's right hand? Yes, the Bible tells us so in John 16 when he says, But if I depart, I will send him to you. And Luke 22 when he says, Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Will Christ return again just as the apostles saw him go? And will he bring us with him to reign with him in eternity? Yes, the Bible tells us so in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. It's an interesting phrase that scripture uses to describe Enoch's ascension. And he was not. Enoch was not a promise that we will be spared temporal death. But God promises that we will, in Christ, overcome it. Enoch was not given eternal life because of his works, but he was given eternal life because of Christ's work for him. And Enoch was not the most important ascension, but he does remind us of our own impending ascension into glory. Because of our shared faith in the promised Savior, Jesus Christ, we may also look forward to the day when we are not, not surrounded by sin, sorrow, not burdened with pain and loss, and not any longer subject to death. 
We can eagerly await and readily anticipate the day when Christ will return and we will ascend into glory just as Enoch did, just as Elijah did, and just as Christ did. Though we may test, taste death before that happens, the grave cannot hold the one who, by faith, hears Christ's invitation. Jesus has said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Until that day, may the Spirit enable us to walk with God in the way that Enoch trod, holding fast to God's promise and proclaiming his grace and glory through our lives of willing obedience in his word. In Jesus' saving name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're now seeing hymn 342 in the Lutheran hymnal.
Let us pray. O Lord God, our Father, you are our strength and song. For you have prepared us as well, uh, prepared for us a well of salvation in Jesus Christ, your Son. Through the eternal Spirit, he made himself an offering for the sins of the world. We thank you for your great mercy. We give you our praise for the life and grace and truth that he lived among us. Grant us an ever-increasing faith to believe all that he has taught us and to do all that he has directed us to do. Grant, O Heavenly Father, that we may ever exalt and praise your Son, whom you raised from the dead and lifted him upon, lifted him up above all power, might and dominion to your right hand in heaven. In his glorious ascension, give us confidence that we shall likewise rise to glory when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. Lift our eyes heavenward to see beyond mortal sight our Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. Grant unto your people hope and confidence in the exceeding, in the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Give strength and boldness to us who are baptized with the Holy Spirit to witness to the saving grace of Jesus at home and abroad. To all those who are in need of his life and life. Prosper the kingdom of our Lord Jesus in every nation, turning the hearts of people everywhere from sin, pride, and unbelief to your great grace by faith in him. Be the protector and guide of our nation in righteousness and peace. Let our rulers be guided according to your will for the great blessing of our country. Give to all of our schools a spirit of wisdom that in accordance with your word. Bless all institutions of mercy and uphold and further all good works. Deliver us from those who would, be, who would do violence to the innocent and spare us from greed rebellion, and lawlessness. We pray for your mercy upon all who are in any way afflicted. We ask especially for your gracious help for the sick, giving them the confidence that whatever they ask in accordance with you, your will, you will certainly provide. And now, dear Lord, since the same Jesus who was taken into heaven will come again in the same way that he ascended, let our hearts rise heavenward in childlike faith, gratitude, and love. Help us always to look for his appearing again, to receive us to himself, that we are well prepared in watchfulness and prayer for his return. In the name of Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, we offer these petitions. Amen. And in his name we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. The Lord bless you and keep you.
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We'll pose by him singing hymn 216 in the book of hymn. Thank you everyone for joining us online and in person today. Not many announcements. We have service next week, the 28th at 10 a.m., our typical time. And just a reminder that Pastor-elect Albrecht's ordination is on 716 at 1 p.m. Anything else to add? The, there's spare postcards announcing the Vacation Bible School that are on this back table. Okay. So please take some, hand them out to neighbors, children in the area. Uh, I think nothing else. Uh, go in peace, everyone. Thank you.